Well, once again, welcome to Milton Bible Church Online. I am so glad that you're here and uh, a part of what God is doing at NBC during these days. Um, we are one church in many homes, but it's great to be family together as we seek to honor God. Was it great to hear uh, a little bit of the greeting and testimony of uh, Pastor Ed Grigorsik? It's wonderful that we are gonna be having he and his wife Elizabeth here as part of our church family. I would ask as we uh, uh, embrace them and love on them during these days that they're here uh, serving us, I would ask that you, first of all, pray for them, that you pray first, that prayer is the most important thing that you can do for them during these days. The last three weeks, we've been talking about prayer, prayer and fasting, the priority of prayer, how important prayer is. We've been talking about the truth that prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. And so today we wanna to conclude the series on prayer and fasting, and we're gonna talk about prayer today in the early church, but um, we're not going to stop praying, are we? We're gonna to continue to pray. To, we're gonna to continue to pray. We're gonna to continue to make prayer a priority. We're gonna keep praying, making Jesus first in our prayer life and continuing on in that vein. So prayer is always our first response, so pray first. Whether you're beginning your day or you're going into a meeting or you're driving down the road, pray first. It's so important to pray. Well, let me just do a little bit of review because two weeks ago in Acts chapter four, um, you may want to join me there in Acts chapter 4, but let me give you a little bit of background because in the early church, what we see uh, in the early church is constant prayer. If you take a look at Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, you're going to find out that all of these chapters are saturated in prayer. And even as uh, Acts chapter 2 develops, it talks about that the early church, that they, were de they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, um, <clears throat> to fellowship, and to prayer. Prayer was a key. Prayer was so important. But not just to pray, but also to study the apostles' doctrine, it said to study the foundations that the apostles were putting into the early church in Jerusalem, to make it what it was, that New Testament church that we've all come to love and admire and seek to replicate in our own lives and in the life of our church here in Melton, where Jesus said to them, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them whatever I've commanded you. That's what the apostles were putting into the church. And that's our desire. Hear the word of God, combine it with prayer, saturate it with prayer, and then see what God does, what God builds. And so the early church was beginning. Acts chapter two, that's what it was talking about, at them devoting themselves, understanding the teaching, the doctrine, the foundation of what the church should be. And it soon, seems soon, very uh, soon after that, that two of the apostles, Peter and John, they were walking down the street. In fact, they were walking to the temple. It was around three o'clock in the afternoon. They were walking to the temple uh, for the prayer time there. 
They walked through the beautiful gate. At the side of the beautiful gate was a man begging, a lame man, a man who had not been able to walk in years. And you can imagine the scenario every single morning. Maybe some friends, maybe some relatives would carry him over to the beautiful gate. He would hold a cup or perhaps he would hold a, hold a bowl and he would beg uh, for money. And that was his job. That is how he survived. Peter and John came along. They saw him. They walked over to him. They said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we will give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They reached down. They said, rise up and walk. And the man did. Not only did he rise up and walk, but the scripture said that he jumped. He leaped. You know, he, he was just rejoicing, and he joined them for prayer as they went to the temple. When they got to the temple, people there were like saying, hey, who is this guy? We know him. How is he walking? We've been sit seeing him for years at the beautiful gate, sitting there begging. And this guy testified how Jesus Christ of Nazareth had healed him uh, of his affliction. It's a great opportunity to preach, so preach Peter did. And the scripture says that 5,000 people came to know Christ as Savior that day. A super day, right? Phenomenal day. Fantastic day. Well, not for everybody. Because the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, they just said, hey, you know what? This is not a good day. So they went they grabbed Peter and John. It was late in the day. They didn't have time to, time to try them. So what they did was they threw them in jail for the night. The guy spent uh, time in jail for the night. The next morning they came out and they said, by whose name did you heal this man? Now they couldn't deny that the guy was healed. He was standing right beside them. In fact, everybody knew who this guy was. They've seen him for years sitting by the beautiful gate. These guys... Uh, probably had seen him day after day. They probably had put money in his jar or in his cup or in his bowl as they'd passed by. Nobody could deny that this guy was healed. They couldn't heal him, but Jesus could. And so they said, by whose name, by what authority did you bring healing to this man? And Peter and John said, well, we healed him in the name of Jesus. By the way, Jesus was the one that you crucified just a short time ago, but he rose from the dead. They saw the boldness of the apostles and they warned them. They said, enough of this talk. Stop this teaching in Jesus' name. Stop these activities in Jesus' name. But Peter and John said, we can't. We cannot not speak the name of Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. And they went their way. They had been severely warned. They'd been threatened. They'd been told, enough is enough. If tr trouble is going to come your way if you keep this up. The threats were real. So what did they do? I love what the scripture says. The scripture says they went to their friend's house. They went to their friend's house. And as they went to their friend's house, uh, they began to pray. And they began to pray. And do you know what their prayer request was? Their prayer request was that they would speak the name of Jesus boldly. Boldly. That they would continue to do that. 
And, you know, I've got to ask the question, are you kidding me? Isn't this exactly what got you into trouble in the first place? Isn't this exactly what landed you in jail and, got the threat and, and, and brought down threats on your life and threats on your family and threats on your friends and threats on the possibility of destroying the early church? But this is what they asked for, and this is what God gave them. Lord, give us boldness to speak in the name of Jesus. As a result of that, the church grew. The witness of Christ grew. The boldness of God's people grew, and they grew in the foundations of the word of God that were being planted into the early church. So when you put those things together, the word of God and prayer, I'll tell you something happens. Something happens. Something incredible happens. So what I wanna talk about today is just two things I wanna point out from the book of Acts. Acts chapter four, um, starting in verse 32. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37, what it does, it just gives us a snapshot. It gives us just a little Polaroid picture of what the church looked like that had been saturated in prayer and the teaching of God's word, the foundations of the apostolic teaching that was being put into the life of the church. Let's take a look at this church. Here's a snapshot that Luke gives us at the end of Acts chapter 4. Starting at verse 32, the first thing that we see is a prayer life can lead to boldly meeting needs. Let me read verse 32. It says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, first of all, before we go to the next verse, let me just stop here just for a second. Um, I just want to park here for a while because it says of those who believed it talks about the early church it says they were of one heart and soul let me ask you a question isn't that the way every church ought to be isn't that the way every church ought to be one heart one soul moving together for God and when it doesn't happen let me ask you why doesn't it happen? Why doesn't it happen? Do you know what the psalmist said in, 130, in Psalm 133? Let me read it. It says, it's a beautiful thing when brothers live together in unity. It's like the dew from Mount Hermon falling on Jerusalem. It's like the oil poured over Aaron's head, falling over his face, upon his beard. It's refreshing, and it pours down onto his beard and onto his lap. It's just a picture of refreshment, of just, of, of a breath of fresh air on a hot day. It's, it's, it's just a picture that is so wonderful and beautiful. So how does a church get to the place where they're of one heart and of one soul? Let me give you one word. Potluck dinners, potluck dinners. It's my favorite kind of meal. Everybody brings something, Britt puts it all together, and uh, we all enjoy a feast. That may be part of it, but that's not what the scripture teaches. What the scripture teaches is that first of all, uh, they had a common theological foundation. 
In other words, they continued, it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. There was a common set of teaching, that a theological foundation that they were building upon. So important to understand. So important that we have common values as a church, common beliefs as a church, that we build together from a strong theological foundation. Because when we build from a strong theological foundation, we can build up, and we can build out, and we can build anything upon it. Another thing that I think helps unity is adversity. Adversity. Adversity can draw people together because when we have a common need, and now we have a common need during COVID-19 like we've never had before, a common need uh, for survival, a common need to thrive, a common need to come together and to meet each other's needs. I think one of the big things that also draws a congregation together is prayer. Prayer, sharing our hearts, opening ourselves up before God and coming together and crying out to God together and seeing him move. Folks, this church, the early church, it says that they were of one heart and soul and no one said that anything belonged to him. It was his own, but they had everything in common. The people, what they did was they took a look at the needs that were around them and they said to themselves, what I have belongs to you. And I'm not gonna keep it, but I'm gonna give it away and I'm gonna meet that need in your life and they met each other's needs. Look at what verses 34 and 35 said. It says that there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Do you know what? During the month of December, it was just a time of great outpouring of generosity. Not only were people giving at NBC uh, to the general fund, but they also gave generously to our Christmas gift campaign. And then there was a third category of people that came to me, even privately, and they said to me, Jim, I wanna make sure that everyone at NBC, everyone you know that we touch through our church ministries has their needs met at Christmas time. And I'll never forget one fellow in particular who we sat down together and he said, listen, Jim, God has blessed me in ways that are absolutely amazing that I could never have dreamed during COVID-19. In fact, I thought things would go south the opposite way, but everything I put my hand to, God gave me favor. And we, my family and I, we have been blessed immensely beyond what we ever thought possible. So here's the deal. No one goes hungry at Christmas. No one has a lousy Christmas. No one goes with needs that are unmet at Christmas time. You can count on us. It doesn't matter how much it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Jim, I want you to know that we are here for our church family and we are here for whatever needs need to be met. 
I'll tell you, I was so humbled by that conversation. I was so humbled by what that person had to say. Isn't that the way church ought to be? Isn't that the way one heart and one mind ought to be, where people are willing to sell land and, and, and lay it at the apostles' feet to meet the needs of what is happening throughout uh, the community of faith that God has gathered together? Isn't that a church of one heart and one mind? I can't tell you how thrilled I have been to be a part of a church in Milton where that happens week after week after week, where people's needs are being met time after time after time, whether it's housing needs, uh, automobile car needs, whether it's food, whether it's a job, whether it's whatever it is, people coming together and meeting needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, friendship needs in, in fantastic ways. I mean, it is just so wonderful to be a part of that. You don't know how many times uh, I hear of a need that has already been met that I didn't know anything about. And it often happens in our connect groups or in friendships one with another. A family is in need. Something happens and that need is met. And by the time it gets to me, the deal's already been done. And I just am just rejoicing in that because that is the way the church should work. That is the way it ought to be. You see, a praying church, a New Testament church, combined with being a, built upon proper theological foundation, it has the opportunity, and oftentimes it's manifested by uh, a radical meeting of people's needs, boldly meeting people's needs in their lives. It's all voluntary. It's based on what God is doing in people's hearts, and it's a wonderful thing. Second thing I want you to notice is in verse 33. It says that when we commit ourselves to prayer combined with the word of God, that God uses his word to change our lives. Listen to what verse 33 says. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Do you know what strikes me as I read this verse is the repetition of one word. Do you know what that one word is? Did you hear it? The word great. Great grace, great power. As the apostles were filled with the great grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the unmerited favor of God, as they walked in the power of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit worked through them to those around them. It's an absolutely spectacular testimony. Do you know what? I think it's really important that as we seek to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we understand how it is that we're sharing Christ with others. That not only do we have a passion to do it, but we know how to do it. So let me give you four words as we, as we pray about, about making an impact for Christ in our community and seeing the gospel go forward in power. Great grace, great power. Let me give you four words. First of all, the first word is God. 
God. When we're sharing the gospel, we need, people need to know that God loves them, that they were created in his image, and they were made to have an eternal relationship with him. Second word, man. Man. Man who is totally lost. Man who is separated from God by sin. The Bible says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is nothing in us that is going to reconcile us to God. We have no hope. We are completely lost. But the third word, but Christ, Christ. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who bore our sin, who took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness so that we uh, by having faith in what Christ has done on the cross, we might live. And then the last word, God, man, Christ, the last word, the fourth word is response. We need to respond. Everyone needs to respond. Do you know what? It's good that we share our story of what God has done in our lives, and oftentimes that can be kind of the icebreaker that opens up a conversation. But people will never become a Christian, a follower of Christ, by just hearing our story. They have to know those four things. They have to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done in their lives. We all need to respond. One of the things that we've been so blessed to be a part of over the years is what God is doing in Zimbabwe through Chris and Nancy Maposa. Um, in Zimbabwe, a number of years ago, Chris Maposa began a children's ministry. He was a youth pastor, but he saw that the next generation desperately needed to be discipled. So he and Nancy created uh, an organization called T4T, Today for Tomorrow. And over the years, this has expanded so much so that Chris has, uh, has created a, a four-year discipleship program that children go through from the time they enter into a T4T group, from the time where they graduate from a T4T group, and they're able to lead others in the things of God. It started in Zimbabwe in a small church, but now it's in five nations in Southern Africa. 50,000 young people involved in this program. There are only three employees, but Chris, through God's uh, really gifting upon him and his passion for this ministry has trained hundreds of others. And while many of us saw, you know, uh, this lockdown as something terrible happening to the, to, you know, to, the, to the church or to the ministry, you know, Chris has not been able to travel out of Zimbabwe, Matari, where he lives. But instead, he's been able to go online, so he's become a Zoom expert and WhatsApp and, and all kinds of other social media outlets. And they've been able to record training and do training and, and things have opened up in other places, in new places. And when Mary and I were there a few years ago, we're traveling through Zimbabwe, he would say to me, uh, Jim, that school over there is where the principal is running T4T and three of the other teachers. 
and we would go by another school. Jim, that school there is where we have volunteers, and so-and-so that you met yesterday, you know, she works in that, and she leads that, that school there. And just school after school, day after day, time after time, we're just seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ move forward as people are, are, are grounded in the word of God. And that's a movement that has just been bathed in prayer. And it's so exciting for, for us to be a part of. The same is true of the mission in Quebec. Uh, you know, I know many of us were so disappointed last summer when we couldn't go on our Quebec mission trip. Our Quebec Go team had planned it. We were ready to go. We had had meetings. Um, you know, we, we certainly had more to do, but then everything got shut down. And I'll tell you, you know, we were disappointed, but you know what? Uh, they have more people now on Zoom, um, Zooming their meetings than they could fit into the room that they were uh, renting at the time. So God is good. The word is going forward. Listen, folks, people in Zimbabwe and South Africa and Botswana and, and Tanzania, they need Jesus. People in Quebec and Laval, um, in Montreal, where that church plant is, they need Jesus. And you know what? People in Milton, in the Halton region, desperately need Jesus Christ. Desperately need Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, God is on the move, and he is working, and we are a part of all of these that are just so happening in exciting ways. The early church, you know what? They took it seriously and they prayed, and they fasted, and they became steeped in the, in, in the Word of God. People everywhere desperately need Jesus. Let me just share one more thing as we close, just one more thing, um, because I think it's important, because in this passage of Scripture, in this snapshot, we're given one person's name as this chapter closes, Acts chapter 4, and I think it's important. So let me read the verses, and we're going to see the name and the person that talks about who uh, the early church is. Verse 36 and verse 37 says this, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So as we close this chapter, it singles out the name of a man by the name of Joseph. But he went by another name, which was more descriptive of who he was. In fact, it was a nickname. And what we know of this man who is called Barnabas was that he was a Levite, that he was Jewish, and that he was from Cyprus. And so what he did was he took what he had of belonging, he sold a field, and he laid the proceeds from that sale at the apostles' feet to help meet the need of, that was in the community. He was just a picture of what God was doing there. Um, we know later on in the Jerusalem church that the Jerusalem church sent him to Antioch to make sure that what was happening in Antioch actually met the scriptural qualifications or just the, the scriptural foundations of what the apostles taught. And they sent Barnabas to make sure that was happening in Antioch. He became known as the son of encouragement. 
That's what the word Barnabas means. Isn't that great? How would you like a nickname? How would you like to be called Barney? Why doesn't anyone name their kids Barney anymore? Because the name means son of encouragement. I mean, what an incredible thing to be called. What, a what an incredible moniker to, to, uh, to, to have. What, that your nickname is Barney, the son of encouragement. Here comes the encouraging one. Absolutely spectacular. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Do you know, I heard someone speak recently in which they said that Barnabas was the most significant character in the New Testament besides Jesus Christ. Barnabas was the most significant and important character in the New Testament besides Jesus Christ. And I know some people might go, oh, what are you talking about, Jim? That doesn't make any sense. You know, Barnabas, to the best of our knowledge, never saw the risen Christ. Barnabas never wrote a book. Uh, of the Bible or anything that we have, you know, on record that that we would um, say would be significant, and some of us, some of us are saying, you know, not a chance. Um, why in the world would Barnabas be significant? Well, you have to understand what Barnabas did. When Barnabas went to Antioch, what he did was he heard about Paul of Tarshish or Saul of Tarshish who later became the Apostle Paul and he went to Tarshish and he brought him back to Antioch and he walked beside Paul during those days and they became co-teachers in the church in Antioch and in Acts chapter 13 the Spirit of God set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry to which I've called them and they went out on their very first missionary journey and if it wasn't for Barnabas going to get Saul and Tarshish bringing him back raising him up walking beside him encouraging him going forward on the very first missionary journey we might have never had the book of Acts we might have never had the epistles to the churches. We might have never seen all of those many churches being planted, all of those leaders being raised up, all of those churches going forward that became just centers of teaching and resourcing other churches all around them to see the gospel spread in a dynamic and powerful way. And you know what? That really encourages me. And I'll tell you why. It encourages me because I am not an apostle. Uh, you know what? I am never going to write anything that anybody's going to get excited about reading. I am never going to uh, be the person that's going to see hundreds of churches planted. But you know what I can do? I can encourage people. I can encourage them to the best of my ability. I can come alongside them and love on them and try to bring out the best in them and to, to bring excellence to their lives and a love for Jesus Christ and just to speak uh, a truth into their lives and just love on them and give them courage to face whatever God has for them. That's what Barnabas did, the son of encouragement. I can do that. You can do that. We can do that together. We can encourage one another in the work of the gospel and let God raise up who he raises up for his glory. You can, and I can do that during these COVID days, 
during these days of lockdown, during these days of COVID-19, during these days where we're trying to really love on one another and care for one another during our pastoral uh, care campaign that's being rolled out. Uh, you know, I just pray that you receive whoever calls you uh, and receive them as you would receive me. As well as, as you call others, just call to be a great encouragement. You can do this. I'm gonna leave you with a little phrase that I heard a few weeks ago. It's a little phrase that I think will be helpful during our days of COVID-19. Um, I think little phrases are very helpful and like, you know, little slogans. So let me just uh, give you this one. It has two parts. I'm gonna read it, and then I'm gonna ask you to say it out loud as we read it a second time. Here's what I want you to say. Find a need and fill it to find a hurt and heal it. Let me say that again. Find a need and fill it to find a hurt to heal it. May God use you in great ways to build a great church for his glory through prayer and fasting and the study of his word. And may God give you boldness to walk in, in, in great grace and great power during these days. And let us continue to build a great church for his glory. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Let's just keep on doing what God has called us to do. Let's love on one another. Let's love our world in Jesus' name. And let's bring healing to the hearts of those around us. God bless you. Have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Amen.